Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Uh, we welcome parent and commentator Joseph Dreesen. Good morning to you. Good morning, Catherine. How are oh, you? Good, thank you. Really good to talk to you. Overcoming parenting difficulties with the angry oppositional child. Explain a little more about some of the characteristics of this that um, uh, are a little more prevalent in some children perhaps than others or at different times than others. Yes, uh, Catherine, in most normal families, uh, children and parents go through episodes where the child is difficult. And, you know, the terrible twos are a typical example. Early adolescents are a typical example. And most parents manage this quite well. It takes a bit of patience and we roll our eyes and we work our way through it. However, in my parenting talks and in my teaching seminars, what is also comes up quite strongly is that for a small number of parents, maybe one, between one and five percent, uh, this difficult episodes, these difficult episodes deteriorate. And what happens then, the normal parenting practices of stalking sternly and sending your child to, uh, to their room or just yeah, yeah, maybe raising your voice has the opposite effect. The child becomes more and more difficult, more unreasonable, more disobedient, and then the parent escalates, and the whole thing actually goes down a very significantly disturbing track of a child basically uh, stressing the parents out and getting out of control. Sometimes the parents up the ante then and, and become really angry and really quite authoritative, thinking this will solve it, but in fact they find to their astonishment that the child actually becomes really unreasonable and the, the relationship deteriorates. Then what happens, either the parent carries on fighting or they give up and the child actually is then sort of out of control. Now it sounds a grim, a grim sort of picture and most parents aren't in that. It's important that the parents should realize that but some parents feel actually I'm a little bit in that and so I just wanted to talk about the rare effect uh, research strategies which professionals and, and parents with the skills use, which actually make a huge difference. How do you know that you're in it? Is it because it's relentless? Is it because it seems to go or is just constant in every situation or perhaps it can go on to quite extreme uh, yeah, levels? they're all good points. They're all good points, Catherine. It's relentless. It carries on and on. And, and the average things which might have worked for your other children – or for this child don't work anymore the child seems to be becoming more and more unreasonable and you become more and more stressed and I'll give you two examples uh, a father who came to my talk and, and said you know uh, our six year old now doesn't want to go to bed anymore and and as soon as you say you know we want you to stop doing your Xbox or whatever there's a massive tantrum and then he just simply refuses and, and, and we don't know what to do we have to turn the lights out and go to bed ourselves he refuses to go and the more angry I get the more unreasonable he gets so that's obviously not a reasonable or normal pattern. Before we get to the strategies for dealing with it, what is going on? Is there typically something underlying this that's common or that's in a pattern that results in the yep. behaviour? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is important to realise is the child's neurological developing brain is sort of going a little bit off track and it's developing, overdeveloping a sort of fight and flight, hypervigilant, hyperaggressive response. Now that response 
is by nature designed for emergencies and for, for really serious situations. But, but because the child is learning how to manage this program, this neurological thing, they are becoming sort of gun shy. They're actually like post-traumatic stress disorder in the making. And what's underneath that could be three things. One is sometimes genetically, children are extremely predisposed to be willful, difficult, you know, really, really over the top. And that's one. The second thing is trauma, anything, a bad divorce or uh, seeing some extreme domestic violence or shifting uh, from a new town to a new town to a new town, losing all your friends or being bullied at school, anything like that, or seeing your parents uh, uh, rowing and, and, and the child can't cope. Underlying trauma or underlying neglect. Now, neglect sounds a really graphic term, but really it could be for this particular child at this particular time in its development, it needed mum and dad more than mum and dad has given. And there's an underlying disappointment, angry and sort of irritableness, which then escalates uh, into an unreasonable position. So those are the three possibilities, a genetic predisposition, uh, B, uh, a trauma, an underlying trauma or, and, 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 and a bit of not getting enough parenting. And the last thing I should say an escalation of the emotional response and coercive response of the parents. Those are the three things which, which can aggravate this. Well, your comment right at the outset that this is flight or fight uh, yes. over over stimulated is a very good starting point for how to yes. deal with the with the strategies. And what are what are some of the strategies you'd recommend? Yeah, they are sort of interlocking. That is, you, you really should use all of them, and I'm, I'll just go through them. The first is you need to reframe what's happening. The parent needs to think this child isn't being naughty. This child is sort of gradually slipping into a hardwired overreaction, which it cannot control. And so, and so we shouldn't blame the child anymore. We should actually recognize the child needs help. That's very important because if the parent doesn't do that and keeps on thinking they're just naughty, if I just yell at them, if they could just be good, then they will they will carry on on the wrong track. So that's number one. The next thing is that the parent needs to realize that what used to work for the average child will not work for the child, but will it make it worse? For an average child, you can raise your voice. For this child, it will precipitate a meltdown. For the average child, go to your room, have some time out, works. For this child, they will trash the room. And so you've got to, your old skill set doesn't work. That's number two. You've got to realize you've got to have a different skill set. And so once you're in that phase that you've given up blaming the child and you're giving up trying the old way, you're ready for the new way. And the new way is actually dropping any hint of anger, coercion, or emotions. What it is, because the child's in a fight and flight syndrome, and as soon as it sees you getting angry or you, you, you coerce it, it triggers it. So you're going to drop that completely. You just have completely calm, completely loving. That is so counterintuitive. You've got this very naughty child, this crazy child, and then you stay totally calm, really? And you stay normally loving, really? Is that possible? Only if you do one and two, if you understand what you're dealing with. But that's critical. So the, the, the next one is, under, is to realize that underneath this child, they have learned a dysfunctional way of getting your attention, of trying to interact with you. 
but actually underneath it is just a normal child who wants what every child wants. Mum and dad love me. They give me their attention and they keep me safe and they will help me. Now, they give you the wrong currency, the wrong signals. And yet when you reach out to this child and say, actually, you know, I know you're angry, but we love you. And, and I know this is not a good day for you, but you're a great kid, you know, and uh, do you know, why don't you sit on my knee and I'll read your story and forget about the Lego. We'll tidy it up later together. That is very counterintuitive. That All is right. very counterintuitive. If it, what, what's the initial outcome you're wanting by taking this approach, that there is a point of calm? Yeah, the initial, the the um, the what you're trying to do here is that you've got to realise that the stress hormones, cortisol and epinephrine and, and 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 adrenaline, are rising in the brain, and that the brain has re been rewired into fight and flight because of the stress. And so when you do it exactly the opposite, you give reassurance, you you give the child a hug, and you say you don't need to do this, and you read him a story, and you think, oh my God, I'm I'm I'm, I'm sort of uh, encouraging this bad behaviour. What you're in fact doing is you reducing the stress hormones, and you're increasing hormones of bonding, oxytocin and vasopressin, and you're just actually giving the child what a deep down wants at once your love now it is very counterintuitive and many people find this really obnoxious to hear but that's the approach it works you've got to change this 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 biochemistry in the brain having calmed them perhaps and we'll talk about how often you've got to stick with this and for how long having calmed them do you then take another step however yeah what you do then you calm the calm the whole thing down and in fact, sometimes you just try and contain a child until they are over their rage. Sometimes children go in such a rage that when when after 10 minutes, they just sit down and cry and cry and cry, especially when they're young. And, and that's a good thing. And you just don't talk about it. Your next step is not to talk about it then, is to get this calmness, total calmness. And then you say, well, we'll discuss it maybe in the afternoon or maybe in an hour's time. Often later, the better. Maybe next day. Once then you have a discussion which contains three parts and it's important that the parent does those three parts and doesn't leave any of them out. So let's imagine the child is now calm and we're in the morning and we're sitting down and the first part of the talk is to say, now tell us, you are actually not shaming the child and saying how bad they are. They say, now what happened? What made you angry? You are raising in the child an awareness that they are in fact subject to an internal Jekyll and Hyde state of mind, that they go into an angry fit and you're gradually raising their awareness and giving them the language for that to recognize that they are in fact behaving in a fit kind of thing. So you say, now what happened and what made you upset? And, uh, and, and so there's some reflection going on. Then the next part of, of, of the talk is to say, well, how can we, as a parent and child team, prevent those sort of feelings from arising. For example, you know, when you didn't want to put your Lego away and you got really angry with me and you, you threw them around, is there a way which we can both work together about a Lego thing, maybe with a little whiteboard with stickers or a time clock? And, and can we try to do that better? Or when you get angry, can you give me a signal, kind of, I'm angry, Dad. I'm getting angry now. Can you please leave it? I know this sounds crazy. You think you're just giving in, but actually, no, you're teaching the child self-management. That's the second part. And that will take a while, and sometimes the child doesn't want to talk, but you just keep on kindly and persistently trying to raise the awareness. 
That's the second part of the talk. The third part of the talk is this. Once a child has gone through this, you want to start raising the awareness that their internal fits have an external consequences of everybody else, which, with which they are unaware. I know a particular child in a kindergarten who hit a teacher in a rage, and the teacher had a bleeding nose. And then the teacher, uh, the child, when they came to, they said, what happened to you? And the teacher said, somebody hit me. And the child was really concerned. Who did that? And the teacher said, you did that. And the child didn't believe it. That, that can't have been me. That is, the children are sort of in an alternative state, and actually they lack a lot of cognitive recognition of what's happening. So you start talking about how do you think, you know, your siblings feel, you know, when you throw the Lego around, or how do you think, you, uh, you know, mum and dad feel when you slam the door and storm out and tell us this and that. How do you think it's affecting us? And that also takes a while, but the the research shows that if you just ask, they'll come to it. They say, well, I don't think that was a good thing. Or the little child says, well, probably you're a bit sad or angry. Because remember, they're not angry now. You're not shaming them. You're not cornering them. So that's that's that part. And then finally, you come to the position where you say, well, how can you make it up? How can you make it up to us? You know what, what? What can you do to to you know to make it better for us? Because you have you have harmed us a little bit, and that takes a while for the child to recognise. But deep down, they really welcome this because the research shows that deep down, children feel very very sad about what they've done. They don't understand why they've done it, but they realise they are offside with the whole social setting, and that the group, the family, is actually hostile to them, and they feel really worried about that. Saying sorry is not enough, you've got to tell them. Saying sorry is a good start, but you've got to do something. So you want to lead the child into maybe doing some extra chores or, or writing a little card to his father or whatever, something they do. That is a very, very important part. So I'll just go through those three discussion points again. The first one is calmly discussing as a team what really happened and, and what happens to you and how can we avoid that. The second part is can we work together so we can do this better next time? And the third part is, how are you going to make up for it, for what you've done to others? That's that's that part of the discussion. There's one more part to go, but we'll talk about that later. The disobedience part, and what are you going to do about this? We might re come back to this, Joseph, in more detail another time. Would you be yes, happy to do that? A, yes, that's a very, that that's would be quite good. a really, yeah. The it's, disobedience it's a key part step, yeah. Very difficult, yeah. Yeah. But the other part that I alluded to is the fact that this isn't going to be a oncer, is it? No, no. What we have to understand is that these children have been wired up for whatever reason into a fight and flight response, that their unreasonable behavior then precipitates our reactions and that it's getting worse and worse. And so you, you, you reprogram a biological computer and that, that does not instant. So uh, it is a calming process where your reactions are very different and gradually the child is reoriented now, when you look at, say, a professional uh, research on how that goes, it's basically a sort of a, a, a going down uh, from a mountain peak to a lower peak to a lower peak to a lower peak. So it's up and down, up and down, but it's getting lower, lower, more, more free, less frequent, more further apart, more episodes of real calmness uh, with a relapse. And that can take up to three months to six months. That can take a long time. That is, that is hard for the parents to realize that.
You have to stay very focused on it. There's, there's several really important points I've taken from this. One is that this is going to be counterintuitive for many people. And, and you have to get straight in your own mind, strategically, what it's achieving. Uh, the, you're going to have a sense that you're indulging the behaviour, and worse, others might have a sense that you're indulging the behaviour. And so you've got to be straight about your strategy, and you need people supporting you, I imagine, actually, and, and accepting that, that you are dealing with your child uh, the way you see fit and for very good reason. You are not yes. indulging, right? Correct. And Correct. Can I thing? make a comment on that? Please, that please. Was a really, that was a really brilliant comment, uh, Catherine. That is so true. Because if the two parents are at loggerheads, if one becomes authoritarian and says, you're indulging the child and I'm going to throw the book at him and yell and scream at it, then that's completely counterproductive. The same if in your family situation, you've got to talk to your family and, and explain it in these terms because everybody needs to do the same thing. Everybody needs to be calm and say, we do love you. Even though this behavior isn't very, you don't need to do it. That's what needs to happen. So that's a very, uh, in my family, counseling i have so many parents where one parent is trying to do this and the other parent is angry because they feel they uh, are indulging the child and they do the opposite and it doesn't work also in my mm, in my coaching of teachers um you've got in the teaching team say in the kindergarten teaching team you've got seven teachers six of them understand it and one of them is impatient and angry with the child and they unravel the whole process and they take they, it's terrible so you've got to talk to your support networks and say, look, this is not me indulging and I know this this might not be the way you're doing things and I know that, that you know there's an impact on, on you and your kids, but seriously, this is what we're dealing with and this is how we're doing it. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and please be patient with us. You've got to manage your absolutely. own red rag as well, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's really hard, Catherine. Yeah. It's really hard. I've made mistakes. Everybody's making mistakes. Again, your comment about about um, uh, managing your support network is really important. Uh, but also, if you go back to my sentence about the child doing restorative practices, uh, everybody actually realizes the child is making up for it. It might be the next day, but then they do extra chores and they do this and they write letters of apologies. And, and so actually the social network does realize there are consequences, but they're not done in the traditional way. Joseph, thank you. Please let's pick up, put up, uh, pick up more detail on that issue of, of disobedience and on that question of restorative actions. I think that could become a whole segment itself if you would. Thank you. Thank you very much, Catherine. Parenting, Bye. Thank you, education consultant and parenting commentator Joseph Dreesen. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.